Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys, today's episode is brought to you by the Litbreaker Ad Network. Litbreaker brings together the finest literary communities on the web. With breakout brands, publishers, magazines, and other advertisers. It's an ad network for book people, for publishers, for authors, and for literary content providers. The Litbreaker ad network serves 5 million ads per month to nearly 1 million unique readers for dozens of happy advertisers. Do you run an online magazine or blog? You should check it out. Are you a publisher? Are you an author? Do you need to get the word out about a book? Uh, or do you need to get the word out about a product or service that would appeal to intelligent, bookish people? Look no further. Litbreaker bridges the gap between advertisers and the literary and pop cultural websites where their target customers spend their time. Visit litbreaker.com for more information. It's the very best way to reach book people online. It just is. That's litbreaker.com. Go there. Tell them I sent you. It's an advertising network for book nerds. Go and advertise on it. Oh, my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host. Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Okay, everybody, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is an attempt at communication. This is something that even illiterate people can understand. How are you today? It's nice to be with you. I'm Brad Listy, reporting from Los Angeles, California. Smith Henderson is my guest. His debut novel, Fourth of July Creek, is uh, almost certainly one of the most celebrated debut novels of the year. The reviews have been glowing, to say the least. And uh, the, the book is available now in hardcover from Echo, and I'm very pleased to have Smith here on the show and uh, to get a chance to talk with him just as this thing makes its way out into the world. Uh, as uh, many of you know, if you've been listening reg- uh, recently, I've been on vacation all this past week. Uh, the past two episodes were recorded ahead of time to accommodate this uh, this departure. So I'm in the odd position now of speculating on uh, my own vacation, and meanwhile, this episode is going live on the day I get back home, if that makes sense. I'm recording this ahead of time. So uh, perhaps uh, all this week I've been tweeting about my vacation as it's been unfolding, uh, or perhaps not. Maybe I've been so blissed out 
that I've uh, opted to disconnect entirely. Uh, or maybe I've been miserable and uh, compelled to give a play-by-play to try to share my misery and infect you with it. I don't know. It's impossible to say right now. But listening to this, you might already be aware, is what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Uh, Vacations are interesting to me, or they've been on my mind a lot lately. And maybe this is one of uh, my top aspirations as a human being and as a parent specifically. So... Uh, My wife and I, uh, the other night, we were talking about our daughter and about her education because, you know, we're in the the thick of it. We're doing the whole school thing in Los Angeles, trying to make decisions, which can be exhausting, stressful, aggravating. And uh, I wound up in the middle of it saying something to the effect of, uh, there's only two things that I care about when it comes to my kid's education. A, I want her to be bilingual. And B, I want her to be exposed to musical instruments. I'm not saying she has to become, you know, like a a virtuoso on the violin or the piano or the guitar or something. But I do want to give her a chance. I want to give her exposure and a chance to learn an instrument. And I want her to speak a second language because those are things that I wish I could do. And I wish I would have had the opportunity to do those things when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, that's obviously not all that I care about when it comes to her education. But those things are at the top of my list. And I expressed that as I was talking to my wife about it. And uh, what this all brings me to is uh, this notion of traveling as a family. And, uh, and, and moreover, traveling as a family in the context of my, my own family, my parents, my sisters, you know, like my extended family, or I guess it's my immediate extended family. You know what I mean? So, uh, my point is it's hard to travel as a family, especially as you get older. And, you know, the other day I was talking to my folks and, uh, they, they mentioned that we should all try to get together, uh, and go somewhere for Christmas because my sisters will be with us this year. Uh, they live in the Midwest and they kind of alternate years this year. They're going to hang with us over Christmas. So, Uh, we were thinking, let's try to plan a vacation, which in my family is almost impossible. It's hellish because, you know, like my dad doesn't really like the beach. My older sister doesn't do well in the heat. Uh, it's Christmas. So I always say, you know, why don't we go to the mountains? Let's go skiing at Christmas time. But I'm the only person in my family who skis at all. And then uh, my older sister suggested Arizona. For some reason, she wants to go to Scottsdale. (laughs) And, you know, I guess there my dad could play golf. The desert in the winter is nice, but he's the only one who plays golf. So the rest of us would just be sitting there in uh, Scottsdale. You see what I'm saying? It's a nightmare. What are we going to do in Scottsdale? Go Go to a mall? So... My point is, one of my goals as a human being and as the uh, patriarch of my young family is to find ways to make us a good, effective traveling unit. I want us to travel well. I want my daughter to see some stuff. And I don't, when we, when we do see some stuff, I, I would like for it to not be a taxing logistical nightmare. Let's go places. Let's get our hands dirty. We're all going to be dead soon. 
You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I'll have more to say about this most recent vacation that I just took uh, on Wednesday, I'm sure. I'll try to give you a recap. Hopefully it goes well. Hopefully it all went well. I guess I can speak of it in the past tense preemptively. Uh, hopefully as you hear this, if you're listening on Sunday, the 29th of June, 2014, uh, as you listen, uh, hopefully I am en route back to Los Angeles feeling refreshed and healthy and rejuvenated. Uh, or uh, if things don't go so well, uh, perhaps I'm feeling drained and demoralized and agitated. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. My guest once again is Smith Henderson. His novel, Fourth of July Creek, is out there now from Echo. Pick it up. It's a beast of a book in the best possible way. Really great to have him here. Uh, had a good time talking with him. And here he is. This is Smith Henderson, and his novel, once again, is called Fourth of July Creek. I'm in an office. I'm in Portland, Oregon, in an office at the ad agency where my day job is, Wyden and Kennedy. Okay, so I, I've been reading up on you. You work at Wyden and Kennedy, and like you wrote the Clint, like the the uh, like sort of infamous Clint Eastwood Super Bowl halftime ad about it's halftime in America, caused a big stir. Yeah, I worked on that. Yeah. You did you write the text? I mean, did that come from your pen or was it kind of a collaborative thing? It's a it's always a collaboration. Um we yeah, I one the thing the thing with this too, by the way, um is that, you know, I'm I'm really not at very much liberty to say a lot about that spot or definitely not the reaction to it or the process in, in, you know, too much about the process of making it. Um, because that stuff is all, you know, not, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, sure. but, uh, um, but I can, you know, I can't say that it was, it was an absolute, my, my advertising career is the weirdest one ever. I mean, I was, I went to grad school with, um, a guy who just, Turned out, who I didn't know at the time. Um, his name's Kevin Jones. He's just a fantastic um, uh, copywriter and now creative director at Widen Kennedy, and um, and that's kind of how I got involved in that process. And um, so wait, he knew, but you didn't know him in school, but you found out that you. Guys... No, I knew him. I knew him in school. I was in workshop with him um, all the time, um, but I just didn't know that he was uh, an, a 
and like a really respected copywriter in the, in the, the world of advertising. And, um, and so, yeah, then when I got, when I got done with school, we, we started to, um, I, I hit him up. My, my novel wasn't done. And I said, Hey, let's, um, do you have any, <laughs> you, can you get me any, any, uh, any writing gigs? And, um, that Super Bowl spot was the first thing I'd written that had been, you know, made into a TV spot at all. But, but <laughs> so, well, but I mean, so like, I, not to me. I mean, and I don't want to. You got to tell me if like I'm asking you to get into stuff that you're not allowed to talk about. But like, you know, in terms of sheer numbers, uh, you know, and especially as your like debut ad copy experience, like uh, that's all. That's a big. I mean, you, you do you do a Super Bowl ad as a writer, like that's a lot of people uh, hearing what you, you had to say. You know. Yeah, if you want if you want to have a piece of writing critique, the Super Bowl is probably one of the bigger audiences you can, you know, you can find. That's for sure. Um, but it, yeah, yeah, it was a, um, it was you know, it was a part of a overall, um, you, you know, uh, what do I want to say? Time, the time and place for for a message, you know, to the country. It's a it's a, a Super Bowl is always a big opportunity for somebody to say something. So. You know, Chrysler decided they wanted to say that, and it was it was it was pretty phenomenal. So, can you it was talk, a phenomenal experience for me? Can you talk about sure. can, you, can you talk about your reaction to the reaction, or is that is that uh, undoable? Because I'm just curious to know, like, did it surprise you, like, like how much of a rea- response it generated, or were you guys going into it like this is gonna like people are gonna really respond to this? I mean, I guess that's always your hope, but yeah, I, um, you don't. You know, it's a Super Bowl spot, so it's, you know, I mean, I think it's fair to say that every year, everyone who spends millions of dollars to have a, you know, spot on the air is, is um, excited to see, you know, what the reaction will be and to, you know, um, it's it's a it's an interesting phenomenon, you know. Yeah, um, well, the whole Super Bowl thing, you know, like the whole, uh, yeah. you know, because I feel like in, te- in the world of television, there are very few if any, like things that happen on TV that are appointment viewing that aren't like DVR'd that essentially the entire country tunes into it. That's, it's gotta be. The yeah. Yeah. It's the big, it's the one, it's the one day it's our car. It's our national day to all be watching the same thing. The same, you know? the same blood sport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So, and all the while, like you're working this ad job to uh, pay the bills and you're working on this novel, which is, um, you know, it's a big novel and it's a lot of words and it's a lot of work. And, uh, I'm interested in knowing, uh, like, you know, how you got the work done because to balance the two against one another, isn't the easiest task in the world. Well, um, the fact of the matter is I, I worked on the book. Um, I was working on the book while I was, um, and I was, I was actually freelancing in advertising, picking up, you know, gigs here and there. And one of which happened to be a Super Bowl spot. And um, when I got done with the book is when I started working full time in, um, because I knew a strange thing happened. You finish the book and you think that it's you, you have an expectation that you're going to, you know, just be drunk with pride and it's going to feel great. And while you do feel pretty good about the accomplishment, there's a there's actually a um, surprising depression that comes on. Yeah. You don't, you, you're done. You've been hanging out with this thing and it's over. And, um, so for me, it was just the, the idea of going into a massively collaborative environment, um, like Wyden and Kennedy was, 
was a no-brainer, you know. Uh, it's like, okay, I'm done. I'm done with my book now. Now I'm now I'm gonna go go play with some um, some other people. Um, so that's that's how that played out for me. And then, like, what about like personality-wise? Um, you know, like like working in collaboration versus working on your own, where you have total control. Uh, I think some writers maybe can't do the former, you know. But it sounds like you can. Like you like both. Yeah, oh, I, and I've always looked at writing as uh, even even my own work as as having a certain degree of collaboration. And you're you are in charge of what it's fine. It's ultimately your decision what the final thing is going to be um, when you're working on your fiction. But um, you do you do have a sense. You do often call on your trusted readers to take up take a look and you know with this book um my agent nicole Raji was had had you know some notes um lee boudreau my editor had some notes you know and we it's a prof you know so it becomes it to bring it bring it to its full completion it is it is collaborative and i also feel like like the spirit of collaboration informs and informs how you try and reach your readers so you know you do think you I don't know. I don't. I don't look at it like this is my vision in the world. Be damned, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. I mean, I want. I want you. I want you to be touched. I want you to feel. I want you. To, I want you to understand me. So I need to know that I'm being clear. And the only way you can find out if you're doing what you're intending to do is by finding out what people think of what you did. Well, sure, but you know, I, and I, I get that. I think that. Um... You know, sometimes writing can suffer from somebody being too insular or too set in their own ways or too frightened at what people might say. But uh, the flip side of it is that, you know, you have to have trusted readers and um, that trust should be based on something. You know, you want to have good readers um, in, in addition mm -hmm. in addition to yeah. being, uh, you know, trust, uh, trusting of them or whatever. And, um, you know, I think that sometimes artwork can suffer from being overwrought. And if you have too many cooks in the kitchen or you're receiving too much feedback or if the quality of that feedback isn't good, it can sometimes uh, cause you to screw things up. So like, how do you navigate that? Uh, I think you have to ha have some core, core confidence that, that you may not have the answer now, but you will, you will discover it. And it may come from something sparked externally. It may come from a piece of feedback that's, or, or a piece of insight that's just really true and, and works. Or it may just be you um, decide that everybody else is wrong and, and you're going to keep, you're going to keep this part the way it is. You're going to, you know, um, but on s some level, you, I mean, nobody, nobody is asking for another book, you know, right. like, there's no, there is no demand out there for another book. Um, there's plenty to read. Um, we could stop producing literature today and we would, we would have plenty to read. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so there's an inherent, there's an inherent confidence just in undertaking the effort, I think, um, Okay, so I mean, and, and like you also, it should also be said that you have pretty good people in your camp. I mean, like having Lee Boudreau and Nicola Raji there to like read your, read your stuff. Like those are a couple of good readers. They're phenomenal. Yeah, yeah they're uh, unbeatable. So, how did you wind up with Nicole? First of all, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I did, I did my homework on finding, on asking. Uh, people who had gone through the process ahead of me. Um, I went to school with Philip Meyer, 
um, the author of American Rust and saw his books um, and since his the son yeah you know i saw i saw his book i saw what he had accomplished while we were you know together in texas and so he was a guy i reached out to and just said okay what's the what's the you know how's this game work like what's (laughs) how do you do this and i did that with every every visiting you know professor every visiting writer who came through i mean not not you know not the more more strategic stuff not you know not flat out like uh, can you introduce me to so-and-so, you know, I mean, that's, that's sort of, uh, gross, I guess, but, but just how, how, how's the business work? Because they really don't, there's not a lot of, of that taught in the MFA programs. You know? Yeah. You know I find, I find that at university level, um, you know, whether it's graduate school or undergraduate and any kind of like, uh, arts related degree program, there's very little, taught in the way of business, which I think is a shame. Like I wish, I wish I mean, cause I, yeah. went to, I went to film school and I got an MFA in creative writing and it's like in neither place was I really schooled on what to expect when I was out in the world. If those, those worlds, they just don't, they don't overlap. I mean, it's not, MFA is, is, um, is not, it's strange, but it's not really a vocational, you know, education. It's an arts education, right? So, um, the, you're on, you're on your own on, on the rest of that. But the, the fact is, is you're, you know, you're not like we, we had, I had a, you know, just a phenomenal group of people around me at the university of Texas who've gone on to do really great things. And you just, you just learn a lot by watching how they navigated their careers. And so I just knew two things. One, just be somewhat, just be somewhat savvy about, you know, by just asking questions, go ahead, be the, be the person who doesn't know the answer in the room and and ask, you know, I don't know who the agents are. I don't know what, who the important people are in publishing, you know, and, and ask, and then, and then write your ass off. And, and those two things worked pretty well for me. I mean, I, I won, uh, uh, the Penn foundation had a, uh, an award for emerging writer, an emerging writer award and a short story I'd written, um, had gotten nominated, um, for it and actually won. And so I had this opportunity to go to New York for a little ceremony, the pen ceremony. And, um, I just met with any agent. I mean, I had a list, you know, of people that, that sounded pretty good to me. And, um, and I just kind of, I just went and visited his, uh, several of them and Nicole was always at the top of my list and um we we sat down and had a cup of coffee and she'd read the story and some of the some of the book and we and I wasn't done with the book you know so it was one of these like let's let's get together and see if we can if we if we uh think think we can work together you know and and she seemed to really like the work and so i said i'll be back when it's done and so that's how that happened yeah well and here's a question for you and this is like i mean i i'll start from the, the premise that like the book has to be good obviously but i've talked to um you know some agents on this on this show and i'm aware you know you're sort of as a writer the more you get into it you become aware of um, certain agents having success and building up a roster of authors that you admire and you, know, you can sort of see how it works. And I wonder sometimes like, you know, do like, I like guess an uh, an agent like, uh, Nicole or, um, you know, there's any number of them out there. They go out with a manuscript. Uh, the manuscript is obviously of high quality. 
like that improves the the chances of it just because they're attached to it as the agent does it improve the uh advance i like i got to believe that's the case and like could a could a could a manuscript of like equal merit and obviously that's it's all subjective but could a manuscript of equal mm-hmm. merit that was taken out by an agent um of you know a lesser standing uh, wind up not finding a home or wind up getting like a really paltry advance from not so great a imprint or something you know like I just wonder about how important it is to be represented by the right person who has the right currency among editors and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think I I think you got it. Um uh it's it, I I think I think you're you, you know, you don't know you don't know. It's not it's not like the NBA where you know, or, you know, where you're in college and 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 you 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 can look at you can look at your numbers and you can say I am going to be very good in the National Basketball Association and I am going to get drafted at this level and it's clear, you know you're writing you're writing stories but there you do get clues that you're that you're that you're doing well, you you're publishing some things maybe you're winning a prize maybe you're getting you know fellowships you're getting accepted to residencies you're starting to see that that you're for real and then then you owe it to your talent to find you know people who are good at what they do in the business and and make sure that you give yourself the best opportunity to succeed it's just it's just um it's i I mean i think it's sort of like any other business in that in that respect yeah no i I guess maybe like i was stating something obvious but it's um, I guess what I think. No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it is obvious to a lot. A, a lot of people in the art. I think a lot of people in the arts sort of have an attitude uh, that because you know because of the work we do. Sorry to interrupt you, but because of the work we do, you know, you're just, you're sort of you're sort of a basket. A lot of us are so, uh, not don't spend a lot of time in the real world. <laughs> you know, like we're off dreaming up other things and. And but when it comes time to do do the work to get it out there, you know, you have to you have to be savvy about it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that like you like to think that a book that's really really been sweated over and that's of really high quality, like the work would find a way. But I think that the reality might be that there's a lot of really really good work that doesn't find a way precisely because the author uh, either hasn't been savvy on the business end of things or hasn't gotten the right breaks or. And this is the part of it that depresses me the most. You know, there are some people who just completely, and especially like I think writers can can be this way sometimes, who completely lack um, social skills <laughs> and any, yeah. any kind of ability at all to like network or go to New York and meet people or you know do that kind of stuff. And you wonder, like, or at least I wonder, how many books, um, like really good books, have gone by the wayside precisely because of that deficiency. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, but there's, I guess, you know, the, maybe again to go to the athlete analogy, you know, there, there are plenty of athletes who are, who are absolute, you know, um, asocial or they just, you know, you see, you see just tons of different personalities and uh, I guess I'm thinking a little bit of, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of the, the this, this Spurs Heat rematch and the different characters on, that, right. on the brain for some reason, but you know, I mean, Duncan can could not be more indifferent to the the hype, you know, around around himself, you know, uh, around around being an NBA player, you know, um, he's a very different figure um, and very successful, 
Um, he's figured figured it out. You can be a weirdo, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's okay. Okay, so like, so let me continue this uh, like this uh, athlete versus writer like yeah, comparison because yeah. this is another thing that haunts me is that when you look at you know like you, you look at like the writing life and you and people talk about persistence and they talk about never giving up and the ones who make it are the ones who can suffer through the rejections and you know I think there's a lot of truth to that I think the same thing is often said about athletes that you know you hear these hard scrabble stories about the kid who like was a gym rat and was there before everyone else showed up and stayed later than everyone else and. You know, even though he was like five foot seven and, you know, couldn't jump, he made it to the NBA or whatever the case may be. You have those stories and I think they get a lot of play. But then you look at like certain, you look at like the the players uh, in professional sports leagues and just how innately gifted they are. And Mm -hmm. I don't care how hard I work. Like I'm never going to be playing center for the Lakers. It's just not going to happen. And I'm not going to be playing for the Lakers, period. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I I, I just don't think it could happen. And so you look at writing and um, the arts in general, and it doesn't typically – it isn't typically viewed through that prism, you know? And and I wonder sometimes, like, maybe it should be. Like, some people just have talent, and that talent can be nurtured or not and or destroyed or not, and some people don't. And, like, do you see it that way? Like, do you think to yourself, well, look at me with this book coming out. Um, it's, it's a great debut. You know, they're doing this huge print run for a debut and there's like this big drum beat around it. Like clearly I'm talented and I've made something of it. Or do you look at it like, I'm like a mediocre talent who just like busted his ass and right. Like, how do you see it? Well, I mean, on the, on the, you know, the scale of you, you can't possibly self-evaluate, you know, how, how, uh, how great, you know, uh, at least uh, I, I don't. I guess I guess I don't spend a lot of time trying trying to f- figure that out. But I will say that you, you there's a these you, you know certain things about yourself. I know that I was writing short stories or writing actually writing a serialized like cartoon almost for my my sixth grade homeroom class, and my my teacher Mr. McHugh would let me get up in front of the class every week and read another chapter from this thing, and it was and it was. This is something I was doing, you know, as a as a, as a sixth grader. Um, I know that when, if I read a lot of something, my brain starts to think in the cadence of whatever it is I'm reading. Um, so you 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 become aware that this is this is a thing that you're doing you're doing naturally. It's coming to you. Um, and so I would say, and I would say that there's probably a lot of people who don't. Maybe, maybe for some reason or another, want to be the be a, a writer or want to you know be anything. And um, maybe maybe some people don't. It takes you know you have to realize they realize eventually that that's that's not their their gift or something. But um, what about what? But about, I, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I can't speak to that because I just don't. I don't know exactly what that would be like. I know what I know what my experience is. That's what I'm saying. Do you feel like you're a little LeBron James? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> is that what it sounds like? <laughs> the Babe Ruth. But I, you know, do you, do you do you like? I think another like uh, related idea is like you know, are you competitive? Uh, like I guess with other writers, do you really do you really track what they're doing and feel like okay, I'm going to try to meet that mark? Is it more of an internal thing where you're competitive with yourself? Are you a really ambitious person? Do you think that's a component of it? Um, I do think it's a component. I'm very ambitious, but my ambitions were um, were my idea was uh, wasn't. It has always been that if you shoot, if you aim pretty 
high, you're going to get a chance to write another book. And that's really the, like my main, was my main goal going in. Um, I had a collection of short stories that were maybe two or three stories away from being something I could possibly, you know, maybe go out with. And, um, I was proud of those stories and I published a few of them, you know, uh, quite a few, you know, most of them had a few more maybe to write. It might, it would have been an easier thing for me to do as a debut. And I guess you got to say it's ambition that made me look at the, look at like, listen to listen when people said, Hey, um, I know, you know, you've been in grad school and you guys work on short stories all the time, but everybody in New York wants your novel. They want a novel. Um, it's a much stronger way to debut and all these things. And so there, there was a, that's ambition, I guess, you know? That's, yeah. And it's, but it's, a, it's a combination of, amb- it sounds like a combination of ambition and business savvy, you know, which we talked about, you know, <laughs> and you make sacrifices right, right then, you know, um, because it might be it might be more satisfying for your um, for your soul and for your artistic ego and all that to get the recognition from publishing just a book and you know it took it took a good deal of of um, thought on my part and and patience and just willpower to sit down and go no okay I have to finish this novel this thing that's four hundred eighty pages or whatever it is. Um, first damn it yeah well but you know that's, <laughs> but, a, good, that's but, a good point I've but, talk, okay I've, I've talked about that on this show is that like something that um i think successful writers often have in common is that discipline and that knowing when to share and the resistance or the you know being able to resist the impulse to want to just see oneself in print even if it's not serving the larger cause well you know what i'm saying like rushing a book to print publishing the collection before finishing the novel, even though that's probably not in your best interest. Like it's a hard impulse to resist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but then it, it's just, it, it's just a question of, of, uh, I mean, are you, uh, are you going to, are you going to be able to do it? Uh, whatever, what, you know, there's no wrong, I guess there's, it's not wrong to go publish a collection of short stories. If that's your, if that's, what you have and that and and it's your and it's your dream you know do it and it can work well i mean it's not as common as, there, a, as yeah. a successful debut novel and like you know publishers do tend, yeah. to, tend to prefer novels over collections but you there are examples of people who roll out with a debut collection of stories that just knocks everybody over yeah and and um and some people are going uh, are short story writers and those those are i love you know i love i love writing them i love reading them and um so if that's what if that's what you do do it you know yeah so uh i want to talk about uh the the actual process that you went through in writing this because uh it's interesting you know you had essentially two books going if i'm understanding correctly and then uh you came to realize that the two books were one book uh, yeah okay. yeah um what's that well i want to i want to hear you talk a little bit about that because uh i i guess i'm always heartened by, by these sorts of anecdotes of like you know uh-huh. incredible amounts of work that have to be scrapped or struggles that people go through and just how circuitous the path is to getting to uh a, a published book that's getting all these rave reviews and whatnot because the, i don't know i think the temptation when you're holding the final product is to think that it was easier than it was and 
Uh, I'm sure my listeners, right. my, my listeners would probably love to hear about your suffering. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how I suffer. Um, I, yeah. So I, I, I had, I had had two, two sort of, uh, interests. Um, one was growing up in Montana and moving away from Montana to Texas and starting to see, realize sort of similarities and differences between the two places and, and how they were. And, and the, 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 I just I just always kind of had this this vision of this um, this sort of survivalist um, anarchist possibly terrorist you know type apocalyptic figure living in the woods um, with his child and, and I was working on something involving that and then I was writing a lot about my uh, about some not not literally about these experiences but sort of the things that. The, the, about working in a group home. I worked in a group home, but I didn't write about that. But I wrote about the the sort of um, re- reality of that of the job of being a social worker and the sort of people that those people interact with. And um, and after it took me a couple of years to realize, you, you know, those those two characters uh, belong in the same book because of you know drama um, and. Once, once, once that happened, it was it was time to scrap everything and start over. So there wasn't uh, there wasn't like some sort of pivotal moment where you realized that it's kind of like just intuitive, like oh, I've got a guy, I've got basically an endangered boy in the woods with his like apocalyptic uh, father, and I've got a social worker. Like this might be a good fit. <laughs> it was not. It's astonishing that that was not an apparent an apparent thing from the outset. Well, hindsight, <laughs> but hi, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, and yeah. and those and the truth is that the two uh, sets of characters do have their own worlds, and they could feasibly be uh, the drivers of their own narratives. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, how much work did you have to scrap, and what did it take to take these two uh, at the time disparate projects and then weave them together? Um. So I, I probably had uh, 200 pages in the in one and another 100 to 200 in the other, um, but the thing, the mistake I was making, and and one I don't, the lesson I took away from all of that is that if you're if you're writing a novel, you're at some point you're making a decision that you're this is the this is going to be your exclusive thing you're going to be working on and at that point you have to throw all of your ideas into it every you have to you have everything you're thinking about has to try and make it in there it may not fit but um if you're doing a thing this is just and this is just my experience but um well it's not just mine i mean i've we've i've had this conversation before with other writers and it, it does seem to be common if not a truism that um if you are sitting there saying to yourself uh I'm saving this this great thing for something else. You're you're maybe screwing up. You well, should probably be trying to get it into the thing. That's a good point, and I think another 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 aspect of that same sort of uh, tendency is that a lot of times, uh, as writers, uh, like we resist saying something that we think is either uh, too painful or somehow too boring or too personal or too whatever and it's like you know mm-hmm. that thing and it takes a while to get around to finally admitting like oh this is what i want to say or uh yeah and and you know the yeah, other courage we'll say again i was, I was just say just you know courage right it's just yeah yeah 
And the other thing too that you said that that struck a chord was the idea of like putting it all in there because what I find when I read a book, whatever you know, be it fiction, nonfiction, uh, collection, whatever, is that when I come away from a book and I re- I'm really impressed by it, the sensation that I always have is like they got everything in there. I've actually said that to myself. It's a phrase I use for books that I'm like really bowled over by is that it just feels like the author said everything. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's because they just really gave themselves wholly into, you know, into the process of writing it. And like you said, you know, didn't hold anything back. Um, You can tell when you're reading a book that's a, um, and these, these aren't necessarily bad books, but a book that's, that's, um, you know, a story. And I don't mean a short story, but just, I have this story I want to tell and it's a story and it's, and those, those are fine and legitimate things to write and to read. Um, but I do think that, you know, novel with a big N is it does, does what an achieved one feels like it, it has wrought every last thing out of the, the novelist. There's blood, there's, there's, there's blood on the page. <laughs> Yeah, every it's all there. It's all there. Nothing got left out, and um, and it was yeah, and it, and it, and it, it said it said itself completely. Right. So, and and with this one, I'm assuming that's the. I mean, it seems like this is the case for you, and that was certainly what you were aiming for. And um, you know, you're drawing on, uh, as you said, experiences that you had as a social worker. You're drawing on. Um, the you know the landscape of your childhood and and so on and so forth. So I guess that's a natural time to ask you like you know about your childhood, where you come from, uh, how that sort of stuff factored into the book, how it shaped you, etc. Oh um, well, I, the 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 um, I'll say one thing at the outset that I think is kind of interesting though, um, not to you know, change topics. Cause I think it's, I think it's relevant, but there is this, it, and, and this is also not a resistance to your question, but, um, there is this sense that, you know, that stuff is relevant to the book and or to, to a work of art. And it is, you know, on some sort of level, it's, of course it, it matters. Um, but the the thing that's like I was, you know, um, I was in a convers in a reading conversation with, um, Bill Chang and we were talking about his book and he, you know, never set foot in, in the South and wrote this beautiful book about the South. What is it? Southern Cross? You know? the, is it Southern Cross the Dog? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, you know, um, and it's just so interesting in it, that he, he would face kind of a, um, this, so I, so I get a fair, so, so far I've gotten a fair number of questions of, of, so do you have this sort of, do you have these characters in your background or were you, did you live with survivalists in the woods, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, stuff like that. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, and I'm like, no, no, no. But I mean, I was, I was, you know, I went to, I went to uh, born again Christian churches and, uh, in my youth and, um, you know, listen to people talk in tongues and, and, um, had those, those sorts of like encounters with, um, the, the sort of, um, Chris, you know, Christians who are pretty serious about their, about their brand of Christianity and, um, were you into it? I mean, were you like uh, speaking in tongues and stuff? Did you go through a period of childhood where you were a believer? I, I think I think I was always resistant to it. I don't think I, it ever took. 
Um, Do you know why? Because I, I was the same. Tried to I, engage. I, I was but, the same way. Like, well, why is that? Why? Why do some people? It just doesn't take, and other people, it's like hook, line, and sinker. I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, uh, all of my all of my people are you know cowboys and and uh, ranchers and you know loggers and um, and I yeah I'm the I don't know I was always I, I was always into the outdoors. I loved. Growing up, I used to ride in my dad's logging truck. Um, and this was in Montana. We, yeah, in Montana. So yeah, I grew up. I grew up in Western Montana. Um, the it, it, the first town we lived in when I was just a baby was this little place called Happy's Inn. But I mostly grew up in um, Happy's Inn would be would be kind of similar to the town of Ten Mile, maybe. Um, it's just a little, like a little logging town. I think it's barely even on the map anymore. But um, there's this area up in the northwest corner of montana where there's a lot of you know a lot of different kinds of people living off the grid um up there but then i grew up in the mostly in the college town in this you know sort of the athens or the austin of montana missoula and um so on i had i had on one side of my family a, a you know a lot of people who had come out and um ranched and uh uh logged and my great grandfather was a dynamiter who blew up parts of the mountains so they could build railroads, you know. Um and and then on the other side, I'm in this college town and all my friend I'm really into books and writing and the arts and uh, all my friends who are into that. Um their parents are these uh hippies who moved out in the seventies and um are dentists and doctors and right. you know, lawyers or still hippies or whatever, you know. So I had this kind of interesting interesting upbringing between those two worlds and that, that definitely manifests it, it manifested in, in the book. What about uh, how did that, how did you wind up dichotomy, in but it got more extreme. How know? did how did you wind up in Missoula? Um my parents moved there. Oh, they did. Okay, so like, yeah. like they yeah. got out. Like your dad get out of the logging thing up in the northwest corner. No, he's still he's still a logger. Um, he he quit. He, we used to drive his. We used to he used to drive a logging truck, and now he, he loads the logs um, with a loader. You know, he stays out in a air and trailer out by Nice Creek, and <laughs> that's what, that's what he does for a living. Yeah. We rolled down the mountain once when I was ten in a logging truck. Which was pretty amazing. <laughs> like, like the, we, almost, we we should have died. We were rolling, we were rolling down the mountain. Yeah, we're knocking down trees and everything. Holy came, shit! Came to rest. We came to rest upside down, and there's. I remember laying on the on the roof of the of the of the logging truck, and he he says, "Are you all right?" Yeah, I'm all right. We look up, and there's a chainsaw, you know, wedged between the bottom of the seat and the dashboard, and flipping around inside the cab with us. Oh my God! So how how did that happen? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I was sleeping. I was laying. I was sleeping in this in the cab, kind of against the window, and I just heard him say, "Hang on." <laughs> was there was there a would you, were you pull, were you pulling a load of, of logs? I mean, did we were on our way up? We didn't have logs yet. Okay. So yeah, yeah. We were, but it was in you know one of those mountain switchbacks. I don't know if you've been you know out. You know, those kind of the roads you take when you go out camping or whatever, you know, but so logging road goes, goes, they're real narrow. They go up and around the mountain, you know. Huh. Um, so, yeah, growing up, growing up, I spent a lot of time, uh, a lot of time in the woods, you know, so. And do you, I mean, do you, I mean, do you have any idea where your literary bent comes from? Like, like genetically? <laughs> 
you have a parent, um, one of your parents like was one of your parents feeding you books or did you have friends in town that were doing it or did you just kind of find your way to the library or um i you know i i don't think there there was any it was not in my family a strong um you know where there's like oh my aunt so and so or my uh, or my grandmother or somebody you know did did was was and you know a writer and I I saw that or it was some kind of a you know well, artist I, or whatever everybody everybody was pretty you know working you know blue, blue collar or plaid collar. I was going to say though uh, you know your grandfather dynamiting his way through a mountain sort of feels like a good metaphor for trying to write a book. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Blow, blowing the hell out of it and then and then trying and then trying to lay down some track. There yeah, you go. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, but you just, you were, you were a good student. You were readerly as a kid. Yeah, it was a, that was a, um, uh, uh, for my mother, um, that was a really, really important thing. Like good grades were really important. Um, so, uh, and my aptitude was always towards like, like I was saying earlier, it was always towards the writing side of things. And you can draw too. You were a cartoonist. No, well, when I say cartoon, I mean, it was like, it was, it was just a cartoonish uh, thing that I was reading. It was it was written? I'm not very. Oh, okay. Very, I, I thought you were. I thought yeah, you were doing yeah. like. I thought you were doing like. Uh, you know what do you call it? Story, <laughs> story. I think you were storyboarding or something for your. Class. No, 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 no. Uh, okay, so then you you grow up in uh, Missoula. You finish high school there, and you go off to college. Uh, I stayed. I stayed for college. I actually. Um, well, I wasn't, there wasn't really a plan in place for me to go to college in my family. Um, nobody in my family went to college. I was going to say, um, I was going to say, like, how did that happen? Well, my mom died and I got, um, I got some insurance, life insurance money. And, um, it was a, I, I, it was a freebie for me. I, I in, in the sense that I, I wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't going to go ever, but I was cook. I was a cook and I was just sort of, you know, bumming around, drinking and, you know, doing the things that 20, you know, 19, 20 year olds do. And, um, and when she passed away, I, I just decided I, I should probably go to college and university of Montana was right there. And how did, so, how did she die? Uh, she had a lung disease. So it was like, just, she was young. It was just a really, you know, tragic, un, you know, surprise. Like, like lung cancer or like, like, Something. Like a lung, like a lung disease that like made it so that she, that like her, her lungs weren't absorbing oxygen. Oh my it was God. making her heart heart work really hard. Yeah. yeah, so that was that was pretty devastating. I I think I turned I turned that that you know, I turned that into um, working at. Uh, I, I, got, I went and got a degree in Latin and Greek, which was just about the most vocationally absurd thing you could do. <laughs> but I why. Because uh, I because uh, I thought the English classes were bullshit and uh, they were just filled with uh, undergrad like the creative writing classes to me were were fine but you could only take a couple of them I didn't have anything I didn't feel like I had anything worth saying anyway at that point um, did you feel a, like, do you feel like in retrospect that the Latin and Greek like as that as a foundational education helped you as a writer. I think uh, I don't sit around and I, I mean, I, I couldn't look at a fraternity right now and tell you what the letters are on it. Um, I don't remember that, that, that stuff, but the, the, 
but the <laughs> the requirement to go study declensions while there are, you know, friends getting stoned and throwing a frisbee out on the grass, <laughs> you know, is is definitely something that you know stuck with me. Um, so the discipline required it was hard. I, I took I did it. I mean, I, I won't lie. I just did it because I knew it would be hard. I thought, well, okay, if I'm going to go to college, um, and I don't want to get a, you know a degree and all these other things that I thought I would, then I'm just going to do the hardest one, you know, and I didn't want to study, I didn't, I didn't want to study a, a living language. I was just, just said, fuck it. I'm going to study Latin and Greek. Wow. That's an, that's an unusual, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I had the opposite impulse. I was like, I'm going to do something really easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I wasn't, I was not, I don't think my head was right. Well, it, 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 it was a, it was a grief choice. Yeah, but I mean, a grief choice, but also maybe like a better choice, you know, than taking the easier road. I think educational, I mean, you sounds like you got a good education, and there's something to be said for, like, really testing yourself and working hard. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was that was the, um, it, was a, it was sort of a, a, a um, you know, like I said, a, a, a working class thing, too. Um, I, I think my family probably didn't understand very, very well what I was doing exactly. Um, you know, if you're studying Latin and Greek, so you're going to be a professor or something, you know I mean? <laughs> but I always knew it was just to build a foundation, you know, of, I just, I just knew it'd be good for me to read a lot of that stuff. Um, right. you know, it's the Bible, it's, it's philosophy, it's drama, it's poetry, you know, it's all there. Yeah. So uh, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be reading it quickly, but I was going to be reading it. So. And then, like during that time, were you thinking like uh, literary thoughts, or was that to come later? Um, I got serious about it when I got real homesick when I moved down to Texas um, with my ex-wife, and I just knew I was going to start writing once I left Montana. I don't know why that was the plan. Maybe I was. Uh, no. Um, Maybe you had to get. I mean, it's uh, that's not that uncommon, though. Sometimes I feel like writers have to like leave their home. They have to leave their home in order to have uh, the freedom to write or the perspective they need somehow. But you know, you, you you finish this undergraduate degree, and then when did you move to Texas? Like, when did you make that break and to say now it's going to happen? Um, a couple years later, I, I you know I, I stayed in Montana for a couple years after grad school, and that's when I was working at the group home. And I think those two things kind of that's when it started. As I worked, I was just a you know, it was the kind of it was the kind of situation where cool. You have a degree in the humanities. You seem like a a nice person. You're going to be in a room with um, some severely disturbed bo- uh, young to teenage boys who've been through every trauma imaginable, and we're just trying to get them a stable, uh, somewhat normal home life. And that's kind of where, that's basically what I did. And so I, I started doing this work and I started interacting a lot with their social workers and with them quite a bit and just realized that each one of their stories was so, so powerfully, um, just, you know, I mean, a lot of times so sad and so hard and you would, and, and the effect that that had on me was profound. And I felt like, when I got out of work, I if you you you'd say okay, I I, I need a six pack of beer today was, you know, just incredibly emotionally difficult, but then you but you also felt really good about yourself, you know, yeah. that you yeah. were and so that's kind of how that character that this flawed character in my novel Pete Snow came came to be. It was this idea of, um, 
you're in this you're in this job that's beating you up emotionally and it's affecting your personal life, but you still feel on some core level pretty good about yourself because you're doing some sort of you know work for others. Well, and there's like there are so many. I mean, there's a lot of those kinds of jobs that you don't ever hear about that people do. They don't make much money doing it. Uh, but it's super important work, and it's super uh, selfless on you know on a level. And I don't know. I, I, I admire people who do that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, and it's a uh, and I I had re- I it as I started to work on it, I wasn't sure. But as a as a time passed, I, I started to feel recognize that. There's very this, there's a template for this in in a lot of our literature and in in our uh, television and film. You know, it's the it's the um, the tr- you know the secondary trauma that happens to uh, doctors and cops and firemen. And was, I just saw saw this through that prism and realized like, oh, this is this is not. Um, something that's going to astonish people to see is a character type. We're really familiar with it. It's just no one's ever, um, I don't want to say no one, but um, there's not a lot of literature out there about, uh, you know, literature or television or anything about um, social work. Well, especially social and social work in a uh, more rural environment, you know, because usually it's like the social worker in some metropolis, you know, working in the, in the ghetto or whatever. And, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and and there and there it's usually and it's kind of the same story of uh, some sort of yeah angel you know working in the in the in the yeah like say in the city and uh, I just thought it would be more interesting really flawed character um, okay. who yeah go ahead no I was just gonna say like you know just just to get the timeline right like you finished at uh, Montana. And then, um, and then you went to Texas, and then came back to Montana and started doing this. Or no, um, no, I went to Texas. Um, I went to um, uh, I I start I did a lot of writing jobs while I was there. Um, that was kind of my main thing. I worked I worked for a hot minute at a prison, and that um, was when I said, okay, no, you gotta you gotta find writing jobs, and so I did. I did. I worked at a Apple computer for a while. Did like kind of corporate communications, basically like internal communications stuff. Um, just anything that would keep me writing. I'd, been, I'd always been doing uh, freelance journalism, you know, in my hometown in in Montana. Like in high school, I was writing movie reviews for the local paper and stuff like that. And um, so it always kept my kept writing happening, some, but but vocationally. Um, I knew I. And I knew why, I could do it. And why the move to Texas? Like, why did you pick Texas? Uh, well, my uh, my ex wife got into grad school down there, so we moved down there. Ah, okay, okay. So you go down there, yeah. and then you're in Texas, and then what? Uh, what leads you to apply for the MFA at at UT? Um, just uh, yeah, I was. It's funny. Uh, I, I, initially, I was um, because of uh, for various reasons, probably just. Um, Ignorance. I just thought that the MFA thing was sort of unnecessary. That if you were gonna, I had this romantic notion that if you write, you should just, you should just write your book, you know, and then it it should be brilliant, and you'll send it out, and people will recognize that it's brilliant, and it'll get published, and you know all that. And I, I there's definitely history has had that 
story um, that's happened to people. But um, when when I started writing, uh, I kind of quickly realized I didn't, I wasn't accomplishing what I thought I was. That I wasn't getting the reaction from the work I was doing that I felt like must be there on the page. I must be doing really well, you know? Right. And then, and then you, you sort of realize that people, uh, the people that I, that I knew that I said, Hey, check this out. They weren't, they weren't sitting there telling me that this is amazing. They were, it was quite the opposite. And so then you, you start to realize, Oh, okay, maybe, maybe there's something to this, uh, this, this arts program stuff. Well, and it's interesting because, like, sometimes I think, like, the MFA, you know, just the, the mere fact of providing a community is huge because you, you don't, it's hard to meet other writers um, otherwise. I mean, I guess there's writing groups and such that aren't, like, affiliated with a university. But um, then there's just, like, the workshop feedback. But there's also something to be said for reading other people's stuff who are at a similar phase of their writing life as you are mm-hmm. like just having mm-hmm. that, having that measuring stick is really important because you know, my MFA program, I remember reading certain people and being like, okay, uh, this isn't very good. And then reading other people and being like, this is way beyond where I am. And I don't know, it gives you, a, yeah. kind of gives you a sense of yourself. That's hard to get otherwise. Absolutely. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that you need, it's a, it's a, good environment to um, experiment as well and to try things and see them work or not work. Um, so I used, I used my MFA experience at Texas to like the, the, at the Mishnah program, they have a, it's, they have the, um, the dual disciplines. You do two theses. So you do, you do one in your prime section and then you do another in uh, either screenwriting um, playwriting or poetry and I chose screenwriting and while I was there I was writing short stories a lot of them were set in the, the, the world of the novel um, and so I was working through some of the some of the um, in short stories I was kind of building the world that the novel would be um, and I also collaborated on a screenplay with a friend and we shot an independent film down in Texas and you know I just had all these all these interesting opportunities to explore what's the film did did the film ever see the light of day anywhere or was it yeah it played um like most independent films you know it it gets out there and then um you can you can i think you can get it on netflix or something it's called dance with the one okay Um, it's about a um it's based on a novel that a friend of mine wrote it's pop dealer and texas gets in over his head you know it's a little bit of a thriller type thing right um uh but uh, and and so yeah, I got I got ex- you know we got exposed to that process, um, and I was just my my goal in all of this you know going back to even the Latin degree was just to see, I I guess to learn as many things as I can, and I, I still I still feel that way, and that's kind of you know why why. I, I, that's why. That's why I'm, for instance, you know, working at Wyden and Kennedy now for doing doing this other thing. Um, it's just what I've always found value in the in the the different kinds of writing things you could do. And right. it's, it's been good good for me. Okay, so I want to before I let you go, I want to fast forward a little bit to yeah uh, where this book. Uh, you know, you finish it. You've got the agent. The agent. 
you know, Nicole takes it out, and you wind up with uh, Lee Boudreaux and uh, Echo. So, like, when okay, so just just the sales process. Like, how did that go? Was it was it quick? Was it arduous? Uh, was there an auction? Was it a, a thrill? <laughs> a minute? Uh, it was it was it was pretty quick and painless. Um, um, we made an offer, and um, we were pretty pleased and went for it. Um, and, uh, she's, she's, um, you've had, you've, you've spoken with her. Yeah. Before, yeah, she's right? she, yeah. Was, she was great to talk to. Yeah. She's, um, she's just a, you know, a dynamo and, um, she's got her, she's actually got her own, own imprint now. Um, at little, at little Brown, um, I believe, uh, wait, did that just, did that just happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Well, congratulations, yeah. Lee. <laughs> I know, I know. She's killing it. Um, <laughs> well, she's got a really good. Eye. She's got. I mean, that's why I wanted to. Talk, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to her. She's got like such a good eye for talent and has such an impressive roster, you know, of authors and books that she's published or worked on. Yeah. So it was. It was not a difficult decision to go with with her. Um, she when she came at it so passionately, and then and then yeah, and then the rest was um, was. Uh, you know, a series of back and forth on, on some pretty right on things. I never had a, a single problem working with her, you okay. know? Or, so, okay. So when did you feel, because this book is like the lead title on the imprint, they're doing a hundred thousand print run, which is a unusual, um, you know, for an author at your stage of the game. So they're giving this thing, the kind of push that authors dream of. And, yeah. uh, and, and that like, you know, that, uh, reviews, uh, reviewers and, um, print publications and online publications. It's the kind of thing that people in literary circles pay attention to. So uh, can you talk a little bit about how that unfolded and when you got the sense that the publisher was really lining up behind your book? Um, You know, from, from the initial, the initial purchase of the book, I mean, they came after it real hard and they wanted it and, then uh, as I thought, okay, that's that's good. Um, all right, like, the, this probably means they will promote it. Um, and then, and then just seeing, you know, as the as time went on, that they were that they that they'd thought through it, thought through how to um, t- uh, like when when to come out with it, for instance, you know. Sure. Um, uh, it's, it is, it, it is a, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, a whole process, you know, of deciding when, when the book is going to be best received, what's, it, what's it going to be up against, you know, what's coming out that month or the month before or the month after, uh, what holiday is it around, you know, what sort of things, what sort you know, when's, when's it, when are the dead times in the publishing world and, you know, when, and are those dead times opportunities, you know, and things like that. So, so yeah, just, why, just why see, now, why now? Like what was the, uh, what was the, the calculation there? I think um, I think we all felt like since because of the title, it should probably come out kind of around Fourth of July. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I mean, I don't know if that's true. But um, I think I think it's just a there's a, it, it might be um, something like Father's Day, <laughs> you know, like it's a they, I, I, the feeling is that this is a book that um, that hits hits um, of. of wide variety of readers of eight, you know, 
age and 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 gender. Um, so um, it could be a it could be a gift. Uh, and, and it's <laughs> also that, there's like fam, there's family theme. You know, there's a strong family theme in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but uh, but it's not like I said. I, I mean, I wasn't in these meetings or anything. I don't know. They you know they just go they go through their list of what they got coming out and they decide this is this is what they're going to do. And, and then and they they like, their priorities. They tell Nicole or they tell you directly like we're going to run a hundred thousand copies out of the gates like. That's that's a really good sign because then you know that they're going to really um, spend to market, or you would think that they would to recoup because that's a big print run. And uh, yeah, they're 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 backing it. Yeah, they're really into it. Um, and I, I think it's uh, I am the the thing the thing for me about all of that is it just it, you know obviously I feel incredibly grateful and lucky and 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 all of that and uh, but the the other pieces you you because as a writer you just you 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 go okay i did my best i did my best you know um and then 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 to have sort of like you know get a great review getting getting good reviews and getting the good push from the publisher you you go okay my best is maybe it's pretty good (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, but just, you know, just, a, I mean, that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, uh, it's very, str- I'm, I'm just kind of reeling. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a dream come true. Do you feel any sense of, because of this big push and because of the number of copies that they're doing in this print run and stuff, like, uh, or do you feel any kind of like internal pressure, uh, to like, oh my God, now this thing's got to sell. Or do you just feel like. I got it to this point. The reviews are good. The publisher loves it and is behind it. And and are you at peace with sort of uh, the the you know the? It's kind of up to fate at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like you it's, can't yeah. you can't control what readers do. It's a really fickle business. So I mean, do you? Oh man, it's yeah, it's uncharted waters. You don't. I I have no. I mean, from moment to moment, you're sort of. Um, uh, it you've you know yeah. Sometimes sometimes you feel a little bit like. If it doesn't do well, you but you you have it's you're done. It's done. You know. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing. There's literally nothing I can do to you know uh, to to change to 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 change that um, word of mouth interaction. That's you know the oh my god I just read this great book you have to read it. Right. Um, no, I mean short of short of getting arrested. You know, or some, doing something really. You need you know, to get. You need like to get clunk. some sort of stunt. You know, yeah, like, you need, I just don't think there's anything I can do. And that's to, not the thing. That, uh, go, ahead, go ahead. I was going to just say you need to get your advertising agency. You can get Clint Eastwood to do your book trailer. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that I guess that you know, the the, the, the it, it, that's towards what I mean. What is what is sort of trying to I'm just thinking you know, out loud about is that the the thing that I think really matters is that that thing that I'm never going to be witness to, which is someone saying to someone else, you know, oh, by the way, you need to read this, this, this book. It's really good. Um, you'd really love it. And, um, the, you know, so the, the pu- publicity around it is great. The reviews definitely are a version of that. Um, but the sweet spot is, you know, when, when, you know, you know, when you've had someone recommend a book to you and you read it and you go, damn, you were right. That's a good book. Um, 
that's the lifeblood of any book. I mean, that's book sales right there. Yeah. I don't think, yeah. I mean, reviews are great and they help to a certain degree, but really at the end of the day, it seems like it all comes down to word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to, I was just out in New York and I got to meet a lot of the independent booksellers who, um, are championing the book and it's, you know, you just, you think, wow, this is, this is, this is, so, I'm meeting someone who's going to tell people about this book. So that's about as close as you get to, to that, that, um, thing. Uh, uh, they're like but, your primary evangelists, you know? Yeah, it's great. It's great. So, um. I guess like one final question would be with regard to like film and television. I always ask this one, especially when a book is um, rolling out like this. Like, have you have you got an interest there? Is there, and especially with your film background, like, do you have any inklings of putting this thing on the screen somewhere? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I, it's a uh, you know, it just fits into that um, into that. Thing where I'm pretty voracious about for new writing experiences, and uh, yeah, so I'd like to I'd, I'd like to pitch it as a show. I'm working with um, some friends uh, that I went to school with. We started a kind of a, a writing collective. Um, there's this model, so we call it El Jefe, um, <laughs> and and uh, they're like they just um, like Philip Meyer and Brian McGreevy just. Um, put together a deal with AMC for Phillips, the Sun, and we're just our our, our idea, our, our feeling is just that um, there's this model in the world of film and television that says, you know, writers don't don't know anything, and they're just supposed to be grateful that someone optioned their thing, and then it goes into some sort of development hell, and we're just we're really bent against that. It's what we, we believe that, you know, if you're going to buy a thing and you're going to, and you believe in it, then you should make it. And so and I know everyone, everyone kind of wants whatever they, they sell, whatever they write to be made, but there is this weird, weird thing in, in LA that just says, you know, as a writer, even though you're generating all the, the story and everything, you're supposed to just be happy to get paid a little bit for it. It doesn't matter if it gets made or not. It's just, you know, and um, so, so that's, you, that's where that that's where that's fraught. And that's kind of the next journey is to kind of see what what happens with that. So I understand uh, being I understand being bent against that tendency and, you know, that kind of like uh, no man's land where the thing gets gets optioned but never made but like are there are there explicit ways that you guys are working against that with regard to like how you're doing deals or how you would you know propose to do deals should they come to pass um i mean that's the idea yeah um with with with, with us um you know we we're not coming at it with no um firepower or experience you know um we we all have different different assets you know uh, McGreevy and Lee Shipman who I also went to school with have, are pretty success are really successful screenwriters and TV writers that took McGreevy's book and put it on Netflix and right. the sun is the sun is you know was the big book of last year you know so I don't know you just you, there's a there's a degree of recognizing that you're that you have something of value in acting accordingly so but does that mean i guess i maybe like to further the question does that mean like you guys are prepared to go out and like make these things independently of the way that people sometimes are and like kickstart stuff and or are you just like going into like, yeah we're gonna we want to we want to be we, the idea is that um 
there, there's been this distinction between writers and producers and the producers make the decisions and the writers are just the mechanics and we reject that. All right. I like the sound of that. El, yeah. ha- El Jefe. <laughs> El Jefe. <laughs> so it all makes sense now. Well, listen, man, uh, it's been really great talking with you. Congratulations on all your success with this book. It'll be fun to watch it. Um, like explode over the summer. Is that a good uh, way to put it? Since it's called Fourth of July. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, thank you. I, I wish you luck with the you know with the rest of the rollout with the film and television stuff. And uh, we'll be interested to see you know what the next book is down the line. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I, I just want you know you to know that uh, um, you have a lot of you have a lot of fans. Um, so it's it's really great to be able to, to you know, me among them. It's it's really great to be able to chat with you for you know, an hour. So thanks. Okay, guys, that's it. That's Smith Henderson. Go get 4th of July Creek. It's out there now from Echo in a beautiful hardcover edition. You can find Smith online at Twitter. His handle over there is at Smith underscore Henderson. He's also on the Facebook. Thanks to Kill Rockstars, as usual, for all the good music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And, uh, hey, don't forget about that app, the free official Other People app. It's free and available wherever apps are available. You download that thing, and then you can stream every single episode, the entire archives, all of it. You sign up for premium right there within the app. You can hear me talk to authors like George Saunders, David Shields, Charles Shields. He wrote the biography of uh, Kurt Vonnegut. I talked to D.T. Max. He wrote the uh, David Foster Wallace biography. You can hear me talk to uh, Tom Parada, Jonathan Lethem, Cheryl Strayed, Roxane Gay. XTX, Kate Sambrino, Sheila Hetty. The list goes on. There's a lot uh, of great content that you can get, so go get that app. It's free. And, uh, you know, I, to go back to the whole vacation thing, I think that the bigger a family gets, just to be fair, the bigger a family is, the harder it is to travel, obviously. Numbers matter. The more people involved, the more agendas there are, uh, the greater the chance of having a difference of opinion on things like climate, recreational activities, and so on. So, you know, it's not like my family, my parents and sisters and brothers-in-law and nieces and so on. It's not like this is, you know, I'm not implying that this is an easy thing to execute. You got to work at it and everybody's got to give a little bit. Everybody's got to be patient. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm a little worried about it. I'm worried about what's going to happen, where we're going to wind up. Uh, I'm, I'm imagining things. Are we all going to be crammed into a house somewhere? <laughs> Are we going to be in Arizona? I don't want to spend Christmas in Arizona. Arizona gives me the creeps. I don't know what it is. And, you know, I'm so, all apologies to people from Arizona. It's a fine state. I had a good time in Sedona in college. A memorable experience. Uh, and Arizonans are obviously good people. I'm just saying uh, maybe I feel a little bit uneasy when I'm that deep into the desert. It, it seems like uh, Breaking Bad is happening everywhere I look. Like I'm surrounded by Walter White, you know, uh, incarnations or something. Please remember that Kant, once called Kepler, the most acute thinker ever born, and that Charlie Parker died of pneumonia and a bleeding ulcer exacerbated by alcohol and drug addiction. That's it for now. Thanks again to Smith Henderson. Go get his book, and uh, I'll be back again soon. Back from vacation. Back from uh, the chicken farm. Assuming I survive. It's possible that you'll never hear from me again. And uh, if this is it, if I don't survive, if these are, in fact, my last public words ever uttered, uh, I just want to say thank you. And I want to express my uh, profound bitterness that I spent my uh, my final days in a small, sweltering cabin 
surrounded by chickens. (laughs) 